Thank you for listening to this sermon from Hope Church, Toronto West. It is our prayer that through these audio sermons, you are challenged and transformed by the Word of God, built up in love and faith, and drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now as you prepare your heart to receive God's Word, we pray that His Spirit would use the sermon powerfully in your life. And as you do, if you want to go ahead and take your Bible and open it to 1 Samuel chapter 16, 1 Samuel chapter 16. And if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, there are people who would love to bring you one. So you go ahead and just stick your hand up right now. Don't be embarrassed. I have nothing really to say here this morning. That's a great place for an amen. But we are going to just walk through God's word and study from God's word this morning. Okay. So as you're going to first Samuel 16, you're like, I don't even know where Samuel was in my Bible. I have to get a concordance. I have no clue what's going on. Let me give you a little bit of context to what's going on here in first Samuel 16. The nation of Israel has wanted an earthly King. They wanted an actual person to sit on a throne. God is their King, but like the other nations around them, They were rejecting God's authority in their desire to have an earthly king. So God warns them through his servant Samuel, hence 1 Samuel. He's a a prophet. He's a priest. God sends Samuel to warn them and he tells them, hey man, it's not going to go good. Israel, it's not going to go good if you put your faith and trust in somebody. But they don't listen. So God warns them. And they're like, no, we still want an earthly king. So God sends Samuel, all right, we're going to anoint a king. And so they anoint this king, and his name was Saul. Many of you have heard of Saul. He was a king. He was the first king. It did not go well for Saul. In fact, where we're picking up the story, things have gone from bad to worse. Everything that God had said would happen did happen. No big shocker there. No big surprise, okay? God knew right from the get-go this was going to be a bad plan. And so in chapter 15, which precedes 16, I know that makes total sense to you, but I would encourage you to read it sometime because in chapter 15, God actually gets to the point where he has to reject Saul as the king. He's like, this guy can't be the king anymore because what happened was God gave him a specific word, a word from the Lord that Samuel delivered. Hey, here's what God wants you to do. You've got to go. And there's this nation who has been oppressing God's people for a long time. And we have not executed judgment or wrath, but God was like, I'm going to use the nation of Israel to punish these people. Saul, you're the king. Take the army, go and do it. And he's like, no. Essentially, he says, I have a better plan. I think my way is going to be better. I don't understand your plan, God, so I'm going to do my plan. And he goes and he doesn't obey God. And what happens is complete disobedience to God. Now, this is just a side note. This really isn't what the message is about, but I just wrote this down. I think it's important that we just take the time to recognize that disobeying God is always bad. It's just never a good option to disobey God. Saul is here and he is rejecting God's plan. So Samuel has to come and he has to tell him in chapter 15, man, look, listen, God was right. You are not the king that we need. You are out. God's got to remove you from being king because you have disobeyed. And even in that, even getting called out in that way, he still is unwilling to obey God's command. And so again, you got to go read chapter 15. It is like all over the place, this story. Samuel is like a very elderly man and he has to go and finish the job that Saul was supposed to do in killing this king. It's a crazy story. I encourage you to read it. But chapter 15 then ends with Samuel completely distraught. 
He is completely grieved. He is totally upset as he mourns what's happened in his country. As he mourns the situation around him, you could even use the word hopeless. As he sits there and he goes, this is everything God said would happen. It's exactly how God said. Now, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of times where I feel like I can relate to him. I look around at what's going on around me. And I try to be like Samuel, a man of conviction, a man who's trying to honor the Lord in an uncertain and scary world sometimes. And he looks around and he's grieved. He's grieved. Now, it doesn't take us a lot of time, just like it didn't take him to be pushed with the weight of uncertainty and the future and unknowing of what is going to happen. It doesn't take long for uh, fear and worry and anxiety to build in our hearts. Maybe even as I said that, you're already thinking of like a broken relationship. You're already thinking about something going on in your work, at your job that you know is just so heavy for you. Maybe it's the health of a family member and the uncertainty of what is ahead. It's just almost overwhelming to the point where even as I'm saying this, tears are welling up inside because you're just thinking, I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe you've got little kids like I do and they haven't confess Jesus as their Lord and Savior yet. They haven't articulated those words. The Lord hasn't done that work in their little lives just yet. And so you sit there and you anticipate and with great hope and with great prayer, you affectionately call out to the Lord and say, God, would you move and save my kids? Maybe it's grown kids. Maybe it's not little kids. But there's this uncertainty and this unknowing of what's going to come and what is the future going to hold. And uncertainty often leads to hopelessness. But let me tell you something about uncertainty. Uncertainty is a human problem that God does not have. Somebody say amen. Uncertainty is a human problem that God does not have. I'm going to say that a whole bunch of times in this message this morning because some of you need to remember it this week. I know that I need to remember it often. Uncertainty is a human problem that God does not have. Okay, so jump to 1 Samuel 16. Let's look just at the first part of verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Now just pause there for a second. God is speaking to Samuel, his word, and by his spirit, he's also speaking to us. He is bringing hope to hopelessness in this moment. He is coming along and he is saying, all that you are uncertain about, which again, it's a human problem that God does not have. God's like, I'm not worried about this. I'm not stressing. I'm not freaking out. I'm not pacing back and forth. In fact, we know from scripture that he is seated in heaven. He's not anxious about anything. So Samuel here, he's listening. He's listening to God and God comes to him and he says, I have rejected him. Why are you grieving over this? Now, I think it's important that we recognize that this passage is about a couple different things. First of all, there's the historical change of Saul is about to anoint or Samuel is about to anoint David, who was going to be Saul's successor. That's, that's huge. Okay. So that's a big, big change in the nation of Israel. He's also about to anoint David, who would be the beginning of the lineage from which the King of Kings would be born someday. That's, that's really big. We can all just agree that, that the King of Kings is coming and that's going to be huge. But this is mostly important for us because this is a portrait of God's infinite and effortless superiority over all human issues infinite, effortless superiority over all human issues. What you are uncertain of, God is not. 
what I worry about, what I stress over, what I lose sleep and shed tears over. God, it's not that he doesn't care. He completely cares, but he knows. Let that bring peace to you this morning. Let that bring a little joy to your heart that all of your fears and all of your worries. I see lots of little kids here today. You're going to school in the next couple of days. I know you don't want to hear about it, but you're nervous. It's going to be weird. You're going to be in a new class. Listen, God knows. He knows. And check this out. He is with you and he loves you. Little ones, big ones. That means adults. He loves you so much. And he's proved his love for you with his son, Jesus. So just as you reflect on that, that him who loves you enough, that he didn't spare his own son, but willfully sent his son, Jesus, to die on a cross, to take the punishment for sin, to remove the wrath that you and I justly deserve. He loves us. And there is nothing uncertain about your life. He loves you. He cares for you. He's watching over you. We could go home right now. Because that's the reality of understanding the hope that comes from knowing God. But we still sit here and we're like, it's really scary though. I feel really hopeless. So what do we do to help hope increase in our life? Samuel is going to do some specific things. God is going to instruct him in some things that I believe are general enough that we can look to and say, okay, those are some things that we can practice and we can do in our own lives. So go back to 1 Samuel 16, verse 1. How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. That's a key word. You can circle it. It's a small word, small circle, but I really want it to stand out in this verse. Go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Now, the first thing that we do as we're seeking to live with conviction, as we're seeking to trust God, as we're seeking to not be overwhelmed by hopelessness, is we need to be willing to go where God leads. This is point number one. If you're writing down things, taking sermon notes, we got to go where God leads. If we want to have the hope that comes from following him, we got to go where he is telling us to go. We got to go where he is instructing us. Now, you look at that verse one there, fill your horn and go, and I've provided for myself a king. That's really key. I've provided for myself a king. The nation of Israel had their opportunity to provide for a king, and they picked Saul. That was a fail. That was a bad pick. Okay, he shouldn't have even gone in the last round of the draft. He is so bad. He never should have made it to the draft. God's like, all right, it's my turn to show you who I'm going to pick, says the Lord. Verse two and three. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him who I declare to you. Now, God is setting him up in a situation where he doesn't have to lie. He can go in this sacrifice and he doesn't have to be afraid. But he is afraid. He's afraid to go. And it would be wrong for us to just say, you know, you just, Don't have fear, just go. Well, he's afraid. And so the Lord's like, I I got you. I'm going to take care of you. Matthew Henry, the great commentator, he wrote this. Samuel's faith was not so strong as one would have expected, or else he would not have feared the rage of Saul. Would not he that sent him protect him and bear him out? But the best men are not perfect in their faith, nor will fear be completely cast out anywhere this side of heaven. I don't mean to discourage you with that, but almost to encourage you. 
You're going to have moments of fear. You're going to have moments of worry. You're going to have moments of anxiety. There are going to be moments of hopelessness, but all hope is not lost if you know God, if you know Jesus, if you know the love that he has for you, hope can grow inside you. And so hope says, all right, well, this is what God says, so I'm going to do it. Samuel is smart enough to know that he needs to obey. In fact, if you just skim back in your Bible to chapter 15, again, I told you we should have preached on the whole thing, but we just don't have time for that. And go to verse 22 for a second, because this is where Samuel is rebuking Saul. And Saul is, is trying to make this excuse that, you know, I didn't obey God because I wanted to like take some of this stuff um, for, to honor God. And, and Samuel just says this at the end of verse 22. It is better, uh, behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice. You can say you just want to like worship God. Like worship is important. Worship is key, but God also wants you to obey. He wants you, when God gives you direction, he doesn't want you to ignore it. When he gives the command, it's, it's not a, an option. Well, I'll, 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 I'll pray and I'll listen to some worship music instead of obey God. No, that's, that's not what he's looking for. He wants our obedience. Saul wasn't willing to obey Samuel in his integrity and his character and his faithfulness and his desire to live with conviction, to trust God. He says, okay, I will obey. Verse four, Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem and the elders of the city came to meet him trembling and say, do you come peaceably? Now you got to kind of feel bad for these guys because Samuel shows up and they're like, oh, we know that there's like a little thing going on between you and Saul right now. And just frankly, we don't really want to get involved. We'd prefer, we're just a small little farming town with a lot of sheep. We'd prefer not to be on the king's radar. Are you bringing drama? Because we don't want no drama. That's essentially what they're saying here. And he responds to them and he says, no, I come peaceably. Verse five, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. God's plan for his glory will always happen. Hopelessness doesn't have to stick around. When we walk in obedience to God, hope grows. But sometimes it means we got to go. You know that word go, right? We all drove by like the go station on our way here this morning. I've like ridden through the middle of that so many times. I've never driven around the outside of it. So that was kind of cool. Just tourists over here. But that's not what I'm talking about. But why would they call it the go train? Well, it's a go train because you are going, you are moving from one location to another. And often when the Lord speaks to us, that's what he wants. He wants us to move locations. Maybe not physically. Maybe it's a mental shift that needs to happen. Maybe it's an obedience thing. We need to go from disobedience to obedience. We need to go from apathy to a pursuit of him. We need to go from continuing in sin to repentance. And God's saying, go. He says to Samuel, listen, you can't grieve over this thing anymore. I want you to move. Going where God leads means leaving where God no longer wants you to be. Some of you know where God no longer wants you to be. You're sitting there in your circumstance, in your situation, and in your sin, and God is reminding you this morning, you need to move. You need to go. You're feeling hopeless, and you want hope but you're not really willing to go. You'd rather stay in that place for some reason or another. Now, I noticed that uh, nobody brought bags of garbage in here this morning, which is super helpful for the custodian crew. Um, but it would, 
If, if you had, right, you know, you like take all of your scraps from the week, all of your food supplies and all of the things that are just, you don't need anymore. And you put them in a bag and you throw them over your shoulder and you came to church. Honestly, it'd be a little strange, right? If we all just walked in here with like large bags of garbage over our shoulder this morning, because we don't need those things anymore. They're not helpful for us. That's why they're called garbage. That's why we remove them. That's why we throw them in the trash and some wonderful gentleman or lady comes and picks them up and takes them away because we don't need those things anymore. But the reality is that we do this spiritually all the time. There are things in our life that God's like, don't hold on to that anymore. It's time to move on from that. It's time to remove that from your life, to put that down. But we don't. We don't. We refuse to let go of what God has rejected. Jim Cimbala said it this way. He says, we want a different result with no change, and then we blame God. And God's like, no, I have something for you, but you've got to put that down so you can pick up what I have for you. I want you to go somewhere and experience something and trust me in a way that you never have before, but you aren't willing to leave where you are. And so we sit here in our same hopeless spot. If, if Samuel doesn't respond, when God says, I want you to go, how long will you grieve Saul whom I've rejected? And he's like, forever, I'm just going to stay here. Hopelessness sets in and it never leaves. But God says, I want you to go. And Samuel responds with obedience and says, okay, I will go. Some of you are here right now. And there are specific things that you know you need to do. Maybe let's just go with spiritual things for a minute, all right? I'm not going to put a list of sin on the screen or anything like that, but let's just think through some spiritual things. You're sitting here, and you know you want to have a deeper walk with God, just like in general. But you don't read his word, or not as frequently or as intensely as you know you should. And so he's saying, go pick up my book. Go bring your Bible to church. Don't ignore this thing that I've given to you that you may know me. Some of you, you want to see God answer some prayer. You want to see Holy Spirit come down from heaven, kind of movements from God in your life and in the lives of those who you love. But you don't pray. I've thought about this so many times, how many prayers I've wanted God to answer that I never actually prayed. I don't think those count. God wants us to come to him. He wants us to call out to him. He wants us to reach out to him and depend on him in faith. And so I need to go from prayerlessness to prayer. Maybe you're just like, I want people to love me, but you're not loving anybody. Maybe you don't want to wait, walk around with the grief and the guilt and the weight and the conviction of sin anymore in your life but you aren't willing to leave that sin behind. And God is saying there is hope for you. There is hope in the moving, in the going where God leads. One author wrote this, why do we grieve over what God has rejected? Why do we grieve over what God has rejected? The things that you have in your life that you know God is not pleased with, that he has rejected those. Why would we ever be sad that he wants those out of our lives? He knows us infinitely more than we can understand ourselves. He understands the, the cosmic weight of our sin that separates us from him from all eternity. He hates those things. Why would we be okay with those? Why do we grieve over what God has rejected? He's calling us to leave those things. What is God calling you to leave? 
This week, as I've been preparing and going over this, the Lord has been stirring in my heart different convictions of things, thought patterns, actions, behaviors, motivations that are not pleasing to the Lord that I need to leave behind. What is the Lord teaching you? What is he instructing you? How do you need to go? Are you going to stay in that place of hopelessness, of discouragement, of worry, of anxiety? Or you will you reach out to the Lord? Now, I'm not saying it's going to be a quick journey. Now, this all gets wrapped up in 13 verses. It may be a long journey for you. And so I don't want you to think, you know, oh, I just got to do what that guy said and everything's going to be fine. No, sometimes the Lord takes us on quite a path. But are you willing to set out on the path? Are you willing to go at all? What has God rejected that you won't leave behind? God is calling some of us right now to leave some things behind and go where he leads. Now, is that scary? Totally is. Because it's uncertain what's ahead. But remember, uncertainty is a human problem that God does not have. Saul is uncertain about what obeying God will look like in chapter 15, so he will not obey. Samuel is a great example here of understanding that what God has as a plan is worth following. And so he goes where God leads. Let's keep going in our passage, verse 6. When they came, he looked, so they're they're having this like this big sacrifice, this big barbecue, right? They're all getting together. So Jesse's bringing the sons, verse six. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Now, just pause for a second. When uh, Saul was getting selected to be the king, part of what he was selected for was because of his great good looks and he was super tall. And they were just like, this guy's a giant. He's huge. He's massive. Of course he'd be a great king. So we don't exactly know what Eliab looks like here. But whatever he looked like, when he strolls in, Samuel's like, okay, this guy could be king. This guy could be king. Verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height or his stature because I have rejected him. Just pause for a second. This doesn't mean that God doesn't like tall people, okay? Just, I don't want you to read that into it at all, okay? But this is what's important. One of the most important understandings that we have in God in our uncertainty. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Just let that wash over you for a minute. The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. We go from hopelessness to hopeful. Here's point number two. When we see what God sees. When we see what God sees. Verse seven is one of the most important statements in all of scripture regarding divine concern and human capacity. The Lord sees not as man sees. Let that phrase just wash over your uncertain circumstance right now. The Lord sees not as man sees. Our uncertain perspective is imperfect. God sees not as we see. This is his I don't even know if this is a word, but this is his godness at work. His ability over all of our worries and our fears. See, we look, Samuel looks, he sees Eliab. Oh, he's a tall looking dude. Oh, he's a good looking guy. Oh, he could probably be king. He's kind of strong. Oh, this, this will be good. And God's like, no, because I see things that you don't see. In fact, many of us, we already know this truth. And we have to be reminded of this again and again. What we see is not all there is. Some of you, again, you have circumstances and you have situations at work, in school, with your family, maybe in your own life when it comes to sin struggles. 
and the uncertainty of what's ahead and how difficult it is. And you just need to like write over all of those things. What I see is not all there is. And then take comfort in the one who can see all that you can't see. Because again, he loves you. And he sent his son, Jesus, for you, that you may have hope. God sees hearts. God sees people differently. God sees situations and circumstances in ways that we cannot comprehend. And he loves you, and he rules over all of those things. At the same time, hopelessness, you can go, hope, come on in. That's the reality that we have when we understand this more and more. When we begin to get the perspective that God has. Verse 8, let's keep going. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And Samuel said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by and said, neither has the Lord uh, chosen one of these. Now, if that's your name, all right, I've just always thought like that, that's kind of like, you, you get to make it in the Bible. You're like, hey, my name got in the Bible as the guy who got rejected. Like that could be discouraging, Okay. But at the same time, God is working out a sovereign plan. And God had a sovereign plan for all of these guys too. And he has a sovereign plan for you just because your name doesn't end up in the Bible unless your name is Abinadab and you're feeling very rejected right now. Don't be discouraged, okay? Because the Lord is sovereign over all of it. Verse 10, and Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. He's standing there and Samuel's like, man, like if I'm picking a king, I got a full roster right here, plus two subs of guys who could be king. Like, why are we not choosing one of these guys, God? Now, Samuel's no doubt looking at their outward appearance, but God, as we saw in verse 7, the Lord sees not as man sees. In 1 Chronicles 28, verse 9, it says, the Lord searches all heart and every plan and every thought. Did you hear that? Every heart, every thought, and every plan God knows. That should be comforting to you. That should build faith in you. That should grow hope in you strong. So our goal and our prayer then is to see things as God sees. Now, you're like, well, God sees what I cannot see. Right. So you might not get to see the whole big picture. You might not get to see the end of that circumstance. But what you have to do and I have to do is trust the one who does see. Now, some of you are in very real situations right now where you're like, I do not see how this could possibly work out well. And God, by his grace, sometimes he allows us to walk through these things and we get to look back and we get to see and we get to praise the Lord. But sometimes we don't get the full picture. In fact, you won't get the full picture until you can ask the Lord face-to-face -to, -face to help you see what you couldn't see. But let me tell you, when you do, when you see it either here on earth and you see and God gets all the glory, you can't help but praise him. You can't help but have your heart filled with awe and wonder. You can't help but have your heart filled with thanksgiving that you weren't in charge. Because you and I would have just messed it up even more. And this is part of what eternity will be. It'll just be us reflecting on God's goodness and his sovereignty. And as we look at the video or whatever the way that it is that we reflect on all that God has done in eternity, we can't help. We won't be able to be stopped from just saying, yes, 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 you are faithful. You are trustworthy. You are reliable. You are dependable. And the words will not cease for eternity because that's how good and complete and great and wonderful he is.
But right now, when we look at the situation, we can't see hopelessness. It begins to grow sometimes. So what do we do? We have to come back to truth that we know about God. This is why even just this passage is so important. This is why reading God's word is so important so that you know his character, so that you know his track record, so that you can be reminded of how God works. So that when you're in your situation, you're like, I don't know if anyone could ever rescue this friend of mine. They are so far from the Lord. Go read Acts 9 and meet a guy named Saul. Over and over again, God reveals in his word, his character, his power, his ability, his love, and his compassion. And he wants you and I to know these things so we will be able to see more like how he sees. We can't see it perfectly, but we can trust him. Back in chapter 15, Saul wasn't willing to do this. He didn't trust God's plan. He thought that his plan was going to be better, and it wasn't. It wasn't better. It ended with the removal of him as king because he couldn't see far enough into the future to trust God. Have you ever been there? You have a hard time seeing how this could work out, so I'm not sure I can trust you, Lord. I might need to take things into my own hands. Listen, friends, brothers, sisters, that's going to be a bad plan every day. And take it from someone who's done it and continues to do it, because I still struggle with this all the time, just like I know many of you do. And so we have to come back to walking by faith, trusting the Lord. That phrase, walking by faith, I was trying to think of like, what's a, we, we use it in Christian circles in church. We talk about walking by faith, but, but what does that really mean? I wrote this down. It's, the, it's obedience to God with an unknown outcome. Walking by faith is an obedience to God with an out, unknown outcome. We are willing to trust him. We are willing to rely on him and depend on him through the end, not knowing what's going to come. That's what walking by faith is. And God is calling to us so often to say, hey, listen, you just need to walk by faith and trust my plan. You can't see, but I can. Some of you have things this morning that you don't know. You can't see how it's going to turn out. And the Lord is saying to you, listen, I know. Just trust me. Just trust me. At this point, that's all Samuel can do. He's like, Jesse brought all his sons. Seven guys go by and they're all rejected. Okay, God, you sent me here to anoint somebody. Like, what am I supposed to do? Verse 11, then Samuel said to Jesse, are these all your sons here? And he said, now you got to imagine as soon as Jesse starts to open his mouth, Samuel's just like frustrated, right? Hey, bring all your sons. Seven guys go by. Are these all your sons? No, Jesse, come on, man. He says, there remains the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. He just makes an excuse. At this point, David's probably somewhere between 10 and 14 years old. He's pretty young. And you got to imagine he's not very well respected. If like the second most important person in the whole entire nation comes to your house for a sacrifice barbecue and you don't get invited, like he is not thought of very highly by the rest of his family at all. Samuel here at this point, he's beginning to get it. God is bigger. I'm going at this the wrong way. And so he says, send and get him. We will not sit down till he comes. Now, I don't know whether he told them they couldn't sit down as punishment for not inviting David, or maybe it was just because he was just so excited. Like, wait a minute, there's one more who we haven't seen yet. We've got to get this guy. We've got to bring him here. Verse 12. And he sent and brought him. And now this is David. He was ruddy which means he was kind of fair-skinned and had beautiful eyes and he was handsome. Now just pause for a second. That recording of what David looks like is just for you and I. 
Because we know in verse seven that God sees not what we see. Okay, so that's just for you and I, just to kind of get a mental picture of what's going on here. But he comes in, and this is what it says at the end of verse 12. And the Lord said, okay, this is not man's choosing of a king. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. All wonder, all worry, all looking is all over because this is who God has chosen. So Samuel has to just simply obey and do what God says. This is our last point this morning. If we're going to go from hopelessness to hopeful, we've got to just do what God says. Sometimes God's just going to tell us to do things and we've got to do it. Now, from an earthly perspective, this is crazy. This like 12-year-old kid who smells like sheep all ragged and gross from being out in the field all day. Like, have you seen his tall, strapping, good-looking seven brothers who would all seemingly make better kings than this child? And you're going to anoint him to be the next king of Israel? Samuel's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that's what we're going to do here. Verse 13, then Samuel took the horn of the oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose and went to Ramah. I love this. I love that God just comes along and all that seemed crazy to everyone who was sitting there, God's like, no, 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 no. I'm working in it all. I've got a plan. And that guy who you thought was going to be the great king? No. All the, the certainty you thought you had? No, it's not working out. And now you're worried. And now there's uncertainty because this dirty smelly farm child just got anointed king. And God's like, you don't have to worry. You don't have to fear. And if you've read further on, you know that this king, this David, he would be a man after God's own heart. He would be a faithful warrior. He would be a patient king. He would be a humble king. They would now have a king who wasn't perfect. He still sinned, but he responded well to correction. They would now have a king too, who God would see fit to send his son Jesus through his family line. Everything changes in this moment. Everything changes at this moment of obedience because he steps out in faith. It changes for the nation. It changes history for the country. There's a passing of the mantle of faithfulness. This is the new generation of people trusting God. This is Samuel. In some ways, it's him finishing well and doing what God commanded, trusting by faith that the Lord was not done yet. He was overwhelmed. He was completely grieved. And God comes along and he says, you don't need to grieve anymore. I got hope for your grief. I got hope for your hopelessness. You just got to go. You just got to listen. You just got to obey. You just got to trust me. And so God comes along and he brings David. And David now gets anointed. And then him and David depart pretty quickly there at the end of verse 13. In fact, they don't interact again until David is a young man who's fleeing from Saul. But I think it's important just that we recognize Samuel's willingness to obey. Because again, that verse in chapter 15, to obey is better than to sacrifice. They're at a sacrifice. And God's like, what I want though is a demonstration of your faith. It's one thing to say it. It's one thing to sing it. It's one thing in their case to barbecue it. But it's another thing to execute on that faith and to actually obey. And to actually do what God says. And to actually sit back and say, no, I know it's uncertain for me, but I will trust God with what's coming. Obedience is what God blesses. We must stop thinking that we can be disobedient and blessed by God. 
We must stop thinking that we can somehow worship enough to cover over our sin. That wasn't going to work for Saul, and it's not going to work for us either. Now, again, please don't hear me that I'm telling you that if you just go out and start obeying God in all sorts of the different areas in your life, just a blessing and blessing is just going to be heaped upon you. But hope will be on you. Hope will be on you. Peace will be on you. Joy will be in your heart because you know that you are walking in the way that God is pleased with. So this is where we have to sit back and we say, okay, well, what am I doing that's grieving God? Because we look back there, God has rejected him. God has rejected Saul. There are things in your life that you know God has rejected. He does not want you to have those in your life. They need to stop. God's spoken clearly time and time again in his word about what you are doing that is the opposite of what he wants you to do, about how you are hurting yourself and others with your behavior, with your addiction, with your attitude, with your actions, with your words, and with your motives. And he speaks to us and he says, okay, it's time to obey. It's time to no longer hold on to those things for which I have rejected. I know it's scary. You enjoy that behavior. You're uncertain of what will come next. But listen, uncertainty is not a problem that God has. We need to stop grieving what God has rejected. We need to leave it behind. What happens when you leave it behind and you walk forward in obedience is God's grace and his compassion and his peace rush into your life. Example, David, the spirit of God just poured out on him there at the end of verse 14. The spirit of God in his life, not so that everything would be perfect and easy all of a sudden. No, but so that he would have faith to trust God. He would have faith to trust God. Come lions, come bears, come giants, come kings. Hopelessness had no place in his life because he had hope in the one who was watching over him, in the one who loved him, in the one who was caring for him. So would he continue to walk in a way that was pleasing and honoring to the Lord? Now, maybe you're sitting here and you're like, okay, well, I need a reminder of that all the time then. I need a reminder of that every day because it's so hard and it's so difficult when sin is crouching at the door, when it's knocking on the door, when the difficulty and the uncertainty and the worry and the fear and the anxiety of this specific situation are overwhelming me, what do I do? And I would tell you, friends, the same thing that I have to do, and that is go to Jesus. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our source of faith and trust in difficulty. In fact, it is so good to think about that he died and he rose from the grave so that you can have victory over sin. The resurrection is your receipt of hope that you need to not lose. You ever done that? You lose the receipt and you can't return the thing? Or you lose the receipt and you're like, how much was that worth? How much did I spend on that? And you get all anxious about it. Like, oh, do I have proof of purchase and all of this stuff? If you know the resurrection of Jesus, then you have hope that things are better than they could have been or than they would have been or than they will be because you know that Jesus has died and risen from the dead and through faith in him, you have forgiveness of sin. So come whatever this world may throw at you, however uncertain you may feel, you have certainty that in the end, you have peace with God. The resurrection is our motivation then. It is our peace receipt. It is our hope receipt. It is the thing we need to go back to. When you're overwhelmed, when you're uncertain, when we're afraid, when anxiety weighs heavy on my heart and yours, what do we do? We go back to the certainty that God is in control. 
and that God loves us. And then uncertainty is a human problem that God does not have. He wants to give us hope in our hopelessness. And so he calls to us and he says, okay, then in faith, I want you to go where I'm telling you to go. And I want you to trust me. And I want you to see what I see. And although you can't get it fully grasped right now, I want you to trust that what I see is good and right and that I'm in control. And we need to have this faith too to do then what God says because his way is going to be best. His way, his way, not our way. His way, again, the way of him who loved us enough that he sent his son to die that we can have hope and we can have life. His way is best. That's hope. Let that wash over your hopelessness today. Let fear and worry and uncertainty go away because there is peace to be found in the one who loves you and sent his son for you. Let me pray. God and Heavenly Father, I don't presume to make light or small any of the situations that weigh heavy on the hearts of the people who are sitting in front of me right now. The battles of sin, Lord, that continue, that go on and on. There's a desire to get sin out, but it's just so hard to have victory sometimes. Whether it's the uncertainty of situation or the battles of sin, God, we are incapable of surviving on our own. It's, a, it's scary. It's difficult. It's hard. It's too much sometimes, Lord. And so we sit here like Samuel and we grieve. We grieve over uncertainty. We grieve over problems. But God, it's not uncertain to you. And there's hope to be found in your control and in your power and in your love and in your kindness and ultimately in your display of all of this through your son, Jesus Christ. And so God, I pray, Lord, I pray, God, that you would help us to rest in you seeing not as man sees, you not having any uncertainty, and you having love for us, love to complete your perfect plan for us, love for your plan to rescue us. And God, would you lead us then to hope? Lead us to hopeful obedience. Lead us to hopeful movements from where we shouldn't be to where we need to go. That God, you would lead our lives and our certainty would be in you. Please, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. For more resources and information about Hope Church Toronto West, please visit hopechurchtw.ca.